If you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 30 through 44 this morning. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Uh, about a month ago, Bo asked me what was uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And I told him... Uh, Mark's Gospel. I love Mark's Gospel. I love the fast-pacedness of Mark's Gospel. Uh, he uses the word and a lot. He moves very quickly. He will say, Jesus went here, and then he did this, and then Jesus healed this guy, and then we went from here to there, and then Jesus did this. And so he's very fast-paced, um, a lot of run-on sentences, and his point of the gospel is Jesus' preaching and teaching the word of God. Uh, sure, there's miracles in the gospel. Uh, the miracles are very important. But I think Mark wants us to see the most important thing of Jesus' ministry is his teaching and preaching the word of God. So that's why it is one of my favorites. Uh, the genre is um, narrative. It's telling a story. And so it's, it's like a, a docudrama. It runs, again, very quickly, and you see lots of things happening. And so Mark, again, is focused on Jesus as a teacher. And the point is the Word of God, that Jesus came preaching and teaching the very Word of God. And I think often if we read this too quickly, we'll miss that point. So that's going to be what I want to focus on this morning as we study this text. Uh, you have to forgive me, I'm preaching out of the New American this morning, so it's going to be a little different, but I think we can work through it. So I will read Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they, can, they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And they and when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of broken pieces and also of the fish. 
there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this time that we can come to you, the word, and learn from you. So, Lord, show us how compassionate you are. Show us how loving you are, how merciful you are through your word. Lord, show us that as your people, as your sheep, that you teach us constantly through your word and that you lead us to be compassionate to the world. So, Lord, speak to us. Help us block out any distractions going on around us, anything that might be in our mind considering this week or problems we have going through. And, Lord, help us sit at your feet and learn from you through your word this morning. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So we see here the disciples returning from Jesus' mission. If you go back and look at verses 7 through 18, you see uh, 7 through 13, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. And he's sending them out to do his work. They go out, they preach, they teach. And they come back, and they come back to tell Jesus all that they had done and all that they had taught. The disciples learned Jesus' message by following him and listening to him teaching. And now they go out and proclaim that exact message to others. They proclaimed that people should repent. You go back and look at that, you'll see that that was their message. So now they come back to Jesus, and they're telling Jesus what had happened and, and all that they had done. So Jesus says, hey, let's go away by ourselves for a little while. And let's go spend some time together. Let's go get some food. Let's have a meal together. Let's hang out together. And you then tell me what all took place. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about all these things that you have done. So I love this. I love to see how Jesus cares for his disciples. He has great compassion for them. He sent them out to do the work. But now he wants them to come back and rest. And he wants them to come back and rest with him and in him. But we also see that they are accountable to him. Okay, the greater the demands are on the disciples, the greater need for them to be alone with Jesus. Okay, so we see them go out. Now they come back. And in verses 30 through 33, we see the apostles gathered together with Jesus. And they reported to him all that they had done and taught and he said to them, Come away by yourself to a secluded place and rest a while. For there are many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of, ahead of them. So they get in a boat. They're headed down shore. Most likely they're headed down shore trying to look for a secluded area down shore away from everyone to kind of get away by themselves but we see the people seeing them going down the shoreline looking for a place they run ahead they run and get ahead of them and they go to where they're going and they meet them there from all the towns in that area okay think about this Jesus had plans what was his plans to go away with his disciples and spend time with them and have a meal together with them. In verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. I love this. Jesus had plans to go away again with the disciples to rest. This was his plan, but those plans changed. How often do our plans change? I'm one of the worst. I have set plans throughout my day that if they get off track, I get very, very frustrated. I'll have plans for my wife and for my children that I have, even, have not even told them that I have plans for them. And I get frustrated when they don't do the plans that I even have in my head for them to do. Jesus here had plans to go away. But those plans changed. Jesus didn't get frustrated. He didn't get upset. He didn't tell the people to come back later. He didn't get back in a boat and go off to another place. He didn't tell them to make an appointment. No, we see Jesus has compassion on the people. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Our God is a compassionate God who cares for his people. And we can see this all throughout Scripture. We can go back to Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, did they run back to, to God and say, Oh, God, we messed up. No, they ran away and hid. Who, who sought them out? God sought them out. Where are you? What have you done? You can also go to the Exodus, specifically Exodus chapter 3. I love this sex. It'll be hard for me not to preach it, but I'm going to try not to. I'm just going to read it. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock into the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mount, mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why this bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, wait a minute, sorry, well, it was the angel of the Lord, now it's the Lord. Sorry, I'm going to start preaching this, but God called to him from the midst and said to him, uh, midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here, remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of your father. So it was the angel of the Lord. And it's the Lord. Now he says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So there's God again. The Lord said, well, now it's the Lord. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have given heed to their cry. Because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh. So that you will bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. 
But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you. This shall be the sign to you that I am who it is I who sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall worship the God on this mountain. You can just keep going and, and see how great this is. But this is an amazing story of God's compassion. What he heard the cries of his people, Israel. And he heard them crying in Egypt. And he comes and he says, All right, Moses, I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you and I'm going to send you to Egypt and I'm going to use you to bring this people out of bondage and out of slavery. God will deliver his people. God has compassion for his people. He loves them. And he will send someone to free them from slavery. But I want us to see here that God sending Moses to Pharaoh is just a picture of God sending his only begotten son, Jesus, here to save his people. Not just from slavery. Not just from some bad situation. Not just from a bad place in life. No, he sent his son to save us from our sins. God has such compassion for us that he sends his only son not only to free us from some sort of slavery, but to actually free us from our sins. God has such compassion for his people that he sent his son not to, just keep going down this chain, not to free us from sin, but to actually bring us from death to life. From hatred towards God to love towards God. From living for ourselves to dying for ourselves and living for Him. You know, so often we hear the term that, that, that God sends, uh, throws us a life raft when we're drowning. No. No, we are dead in the bottom of the lake of sin. And He goes and pulls us out and brings us to the shore and breathes life into us. That's how much compassion God has for his people. He frees us from our sin. His shed blood shatters the chains of sin. He frees us to walk away from it. Now we are called to repent of our sin and trust him. We can't trust some decision we made a long time ago. We can't trust us being baptized as children. We can't trust walking down an aisle and saying a prayer. We have to trust what he accomplished on the cross. He accomplished for you. Jesus says in John chapter 6 verse 38 that he has come down from heaven not to do his own will but to do the will of the Father who sent him. He also says that whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. God sent his Son to save his people from their sins. And one of the motivating factors of that and of Jesus' mission is compassion. Again, it's all throughout Scripture. Isaiah chapter 14 verse 1 says, For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel, and he will set them in their own land, and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. Here we see that God will have compassion for his people. After judgment comes restoration. 
Not only for Israel, but also for Gentiles, for people like us. Praise God for this. Praise Him for His compassion. This is what allows us to be grafted in to His promises. Again, we're called to repent and believe. We see this compassion all throughout the Old Testament, but we also see it in Christ in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 15, we're reading now that the feeding of the 5,000, but there's also a feeding of the 4,000. And in Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, it says, Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people, because now they have remained with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want them to I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. We see the compassion of Jesus in his healing the sick and in that what do they do glorify God okay the healing the changing of lives God still does this today Jesus still does this today Jesus changed drunkards into sober Christ followers Jesus heals drug addicts and changes them into clean, free, independent followers of Christ. He still changes sinners into saints. Jesus still works miracles today. I was talking to a co-worker this week, and he's asking me about miracles. I said, if God saved me, a dirty, rotten sinner, that is a miracle. God still does miracles today. He still changes sinners into saints. He still changes those who hate God into those who love Him and follow Him and trust Him and do His will. I think of Mark chapter 1, verse 40 and 42. It says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching Him, and falling on His knees before Him, and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. <laughs> to see this and understand this is truly amazing. If anyone touches a leper, what happens to them? They get it. They are, they are from that point forward, a leper. What did Jesus do? Jesus could have just said, all right, you're healed. You're good. But what did he do? He touched him. He touched him. This leper would not have known the touch of another human since he was diagnosed with leprosy. No other human being would have touched him. 
until Jesus touched him. This man felt the touch of Jesus. He felt the love and compassion of Jesus and his healing touch. Jesus had compassion for him and healed him and touched him. You can keep reading and see what this man did after this. What all of us should do anytime Jesus touches us and changes our lives. Well, but he went away, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. This man went away talking. Went away saying, Here's what Jesus did for me. You can keep going. Mark chapter 10. Many of y'all know the story. The rich young ruler. It's a little different story. 10 verse 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. You have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words he felt saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. He would see Jesus love a man who would not even follow him. He loved a man who would not repent of his sins and trust Jesus. Yet Jesus still loved him. In summing up the compassion of Jesus, John MacArthur says that remember that even Jesus' most scathing denunciation, a blistering diatribe against the religious leaders of Jerusalem in Matthew 23, ends with Christ weeping over Jerusalem. He says compassion colored everything Jesus did. Jesus is a compassionate God. Verse 34, back to our original text. He says, And when ashore he saw a crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Jesus teaches them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The Old Testament so often talks about the coming Messiah being a great shepherd. He would be a shepherd king. He would be a good shepherd. He would be the kind of shepherd that would lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus shows here that he is the fulfillment of these prophecies of the good shepherd. In his compassion, Jesus looked at these people, these sheep, and he determined to meet their needs. And how did, it, did Jesus do that? Don't skip ahead to him feeding them. How did he begin to do that? By teaching them the word of God. Jesus fed them the word of God first. It actually says he taught them many things. 
Jesus sees a whole people without direction, without purpose, and he cares for them, and he teaches them. He leads them and directs them and teaches them and feeds them. What do people need first and foremost? The Word of God. We need the Holy Spirit teaching us through the Word of God. Not physical food, but spiritual food. We need to be taught the Word of God. Verses 35 through 37. When it was already late, quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. It's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? So Jesus is feeding the word of God to them. The disciples see an issue arising. Uh-oh, we got a problem coming up, Jesus. It's getting late. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Pretty sure these people are hungry. So we got a problem. So they take the problem to Jesus. And they tell Jesus how to handle this problem. Send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So the disciples' solution to the problem is to send the people away. Hey, we can't feed them. We can't deal with them. Jesus, send them away. Interesting. They didn't ask Jesus, what should we do? And say, hey, how are we going to handle this, Jesus? We know you. We've seen you do miracles. We know you have a plan here. What are we going to do? No, they said, Jesus, we have a problem here. We need you to send them away. What is Jesus' solution? First, Jesus says they're right where they need to be. They don't need to go anywhere. They're where they need to be, which is with Jesus. Then he commands the disciples to feed them. He says, you give them something to eat. Jesus has compassion on the people. The disciples see a problem. Do you see the difference? Okay, people are not objects that we can determine whether they are worth our time and effort. All people are created in the image of God. Jesus has compassion for the people. Later in the book of John, Peter confesses that what Jesus has the words to eternal life, right? Peter says, you have the words to eternal life, Jesus. John also says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So Jesus has the words of eternal life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yet the disciples are saying, send them away from this. From the words to eternal life. So then why would anyone want to send people away from Jesus? 
Because not sending the people away meant that the disciples had to invest time and effort into these people. That is hard work. Speaking for myself, often I love living out my mundane lifestyle. I love to get up, have my coffee, read my Bible, spend time with my, my wife, go to work, do my job, come home, eat supper, watch a little TV, and go to bed. Hey, that's a life for me. I mean, I could do that. We love working on our hobbies. But I want to see here, Jesus never got comfortable, and he never allowed his disciples to get comfortable. He was constantly on the move, constantly investing in, into people's lives, constantly showing compassion to people who most others would look past, who would walk around, who would totally disengage with. Jesus looked with compassion towards others over 40 times just in the Gospels. This is who Jesus is. So we'll see in verses 37 through 41 that Jesus tells his disciples to, the, to feed the people. They're like, hey, we don't have, I don't know, 25, 30 grand to feed the people. What do you want us to do? Jesus, I mean, the disciples are basically telling Jesus, it's impossible for us to feed this people. And that's the point. But it's not impossible with God. Anything we try to do on our own will lead to pride or failure. But if we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory alone, then it is beautiful. So we see Jesus work with the disciples and Jesus fed them. We could spend a lot of time talking about Jesus feeding the people here. But again, like, like I said, I want to move past that. But I want us to see that this should remind us of God feeding the Israelites when they wandered in the desert in Exodus chapter 16. Jesus fed them, and I don't want us to miss this, and they were satisfied. They were satisfied. He didn't just give them enough to hold them over until they got back home. He didn't just say, hey, here's a little piece. Just, just eat this, and this, this should do it. Here's all I got. I can, I can try to spread this out and feed all y'all a little bit. We can all share here. We'll get a little bite, and hopefully that'll hold you over. No. He fed them, and they were satisfied. He didn't just give them what he could. He fed them enough to completely satisfy them. This is how amazing and merciful and compassionate God is. So another question I have is, are we satisfied in what the Lord has given us? Are we satisfied? I want to ask a couple questions for, for some, some uh, application here. How does God show compassion to others today? One way is God shows his compassion to a lost and dying world today through his church. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to be a part of his compassion. How awesome is that? That now he shows compassion to others through us. I guess that got them. They didn't like that. They're out. Jesus allows us to see and to demonstrate how compassionate he is by allowing us to reveal this to the world. As a church, we now represent Jesus in showing compassion to the world. Paul says in Colossians 3:12, "Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience." Because we are the vessels God uses now to, sh to show compassion to the world. So we must get out of our comfort zone and live life not to be served, but to serve and to give our very lives for the gospel. Right here where we are today. Okay, and when I say for the church, many start thinking programs. And I'm not talking programs. I'm not talking church programs. An old analogy I used to use is not any good anymore, but those of you who work on computers know that I used to say we're, we're, we want to be more like Apple or Mac, which is application-driven. We don't want to be like Microsoft, which is program-driven, although it's not any good anymore because Apple uses a lot of programs now also. But it used to be a good analogy. We don't want to be program-driven. We want to be application-driven, meaning we want to apply the text to our lives in doing what God has called us to do, in showing compassion to the world. We don't have to make up a program here at the church for everybody to get involved in to show compassion. We can do it as we live our lives. We can do it as we go to the grocery store. Are we, are we, uh, do we do things in order to show compassion to certain people? Do we go to the same grocery store and try to go through the same checkout line to, to meet the same checker, to talk to them, to get to know them in order that we can invest in them so that we can eventually share the gospel with them? Do we go to the same gas station? Do we do certain things to try to invest in people's lives? And I've seen this in a program we have here, Men's Breakfast. I've seen this in our Men's Breakfast. There's a gentleman who comes who's not a Christian, yet he comes and he loves coming, and he, when he comes, he'll, he'll cry in there and have to go to the bathroom because he is so uh, taken aback by the way we love him and have compassion for him and serve him and feed him. I think we need, to be, we need to be reminded often that this is not our home. We are sojourners here. We are moving through. We are passing through. We shouldn't get too comfortable either, just as Jesus didn't allow the disciples to get too comfortable. So again, some other questions. Do we try to build relationships? Do we look for ways to share the gospel or talk about religious things or are helping others with our friends, with our family members, with our co-workers? Are there ways that we try to reach them with the gospel? I 
I have a friend of mine who's here today who just the other day, he was working in an office building. Okay, he works in, other, in different office buildings. He was working in this office building, and he was getting off work. He was on the elevator, coming down the elevator, off work, ready to go home. He's on the elevator with a gentleman. He looks over to the gentleman. He, said, he assumes that this gentleman is a Muslim. So he looks at him, and he starts trying to figure out, okay, how can I speak to this man? So he looks at the guy, and he has a certain clothing on, a certain type of clothing on. So he asks him, is that, a, uh, is that piece of clothing for religious reasons? And the man said, yes, it is. And so my friend asked him, oh, well, tell me about it. What does it represent? What is it for? And so the man was happy to talk to my friend about it. So they talked about it while they're going down the elevator. They kept talking about it as they walked outside. And they kept talking about it as they walked to my friend's truck. And as they continued to talk about it, as my friend continued to listen to him, then my friend could turn the conversation and share the gospel with him. He told him he's a Christian. Well, the Muslim wanted to debate or argue with my friend, but my friend's like, I'm not going to argue. I just want to show you the love of God. I want to show you how loving God is, how compassionate God is. These other things you want to bring up, no, nah, that's okay. I don't care about those things. We're to live by the Spirit, as he said. So I'm here through the Spirit to, to talk to you. And I think he said they talked over 30 to 45 minutes at my friend's truck. In the end, my friend got to lay his hands on him and pray for him. You know what he could have done? I mean, he's off work. You know what I do when I get off work? Get home as fast as I can. And he stood there, and, and with this man, speaking truth to him because he cared for him. He might have had plans. His wife's probably wondering why, why he's not home yet. What's going on here? But he went out of his way to share the gospel with this man just by looking for a way to start up the conversation. Do we see people as being made in the image of God? Do we see people who are anti-Christian? Who talk bad about our faith? Who say, say things about us that are not even true? Do we see them as people created in the image of God and do we look for ways to serve them and to love them and show them compassion? And also a little bit of application. We do all this through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God alone. I don't want us to miss that. As the disciples, we only do what Jesus calls us and allows us to do. Again, Jesus called the twelve to go out and preach the gospel. Call people to repent. They were heralds of the gospel. And now they must come back and give an account, a report, is what the word says. They must report back to him, here's what we did. They cannot do this on their own. They cannot do this however they please to do it. They must do it the way Jesus called them to do it, exactly the way he called them to do it, and exactly when they called him to do it. And they report back to him. This is the same with us. 
Okay, the work we do, the ministry we might be a part of, is Jesus' ministry, not ours. So if we're not doing things for his glory alone, then we are doing them for the wrong reasons. So I want to wrap up with this in mind. Jesus is our good shepherd. He lays down his life for us. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and what? Leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. God is a compassionate God. He is our shepherd. He cares for us. He shows us compassion constantly. Every day he's showing us compassion. I urge you to look, see where he's showing compassion, and glorify him in it. Look to see where he's showing compassion to Bonham, and jump in there and glorify God in that as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a compassionate and holy God. Lord, I thank you that you show compassion now to this world through us, your church. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. Thank you that you allow us to see it. Thank you that you allow us to see you work, to see you transform people's lives. It's a glorious thing. So Lord, I ask that you help us do that. Lord, help us exalt you in all that we do. Help us live our lives not to be comfortable, but to glorify you, to make much of you, or to, to show compassion to others through you, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you again for teaching us through your word. Thank you for being our good shepherd. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.